Welcome back to the middle of culture. I'm one of your hosts, Peter. I'm your other host, Eden. And we are back continuing our winter of X content with the, what I think we have officially decided is the penultimate entry in this endeavor, because while there are some related movies, um, we don't need to watch those. Right. Right. Sorry, Deadpool and the New Mutants. Do you know what I'm not going to watch? Deadpool, Deadpool 2, or New Mutants. I mean, I'd be down to watching those, maybe not for the podcast at some other time. New Mutants, no thanks. I think I'm good. But uh, I think it's, you know, we're going to talk about Logan today. And then in about, uh, what, four weeks or so, we're going to wrap up with the stellar conclusion of dark Phoenix. And then we're going to move on because this has been a, a, a long process that I, I have enjoyed personally. And I think we'll have kind of a reflection on the whole thing when we get to the end, but at the same time, I'm ready for us to move on. But before we do that, anything interesting that you have been uh, watching, reading, get playing, listening to anything you wanted to talk about first. Yeah, um, we're starting recording this a few a few minutes later than we had originally planned uh, because um, I think I mentioned last time that my partner and I, uh, you know, while celebrating the 12 days of Christmas, decided to also celebrate the 12 days of Star Wars and watch all of Andor one episode each night. Um, and so, it, you know, it was a good experience. It was a lot of fun to, like, have, like, that plan of, like, oh, we're going to watch the show together every night. Like, we wind down, we hop onto the couch and watch a show together. Um, and so we had taken a little bit of break after that. Um, but now we have started a new show together. Um, and so we were watching our nightly episode of that. Um, and we are watching the FX show Pose. Um, which for, if, if listeners don't know about Pose, um, it is about the ballroom scene in, and balls scene in New York City in the late 80s. Um, and I think over the course of the show, it goes till the late 90s. But right now we're just in season one. Um, so it's like 1987 or 1988. Um, and, you know, talking about, you know, it, it just deals with a lot of really, you know, trenchant and salient issues. Dealing a lot with like, you know, queerness and and questions about gender and questions about sexuality and subcultures where people can find family and find community and how people in those su- those subcultures who are so often ostracized by the greater world um, find love, friendship, community, and kindness with one another. Um, and I am really impressed with it so far. Uh, like I say, we're mostly done, I think, with season one. Um, and then I think we're going to take a break and watch something else in between seasons because it is a pretty heavy show. Sure. That is a thing I'll say about it is that I am really loving it. Uh, an incredible cast, um, but it's very heavy. So I think we're going to take breaks in between the seasons and maybe watch a slightly lighter thing. That sounds But uh, I'm really liking it so far. Nice. Excellent. Anything else? 
nothing really worth mentioning. Um, I'm really tempted to read all of Claymore again, which is a maddening thing to think about. Let me read these 27 volumes of comics again. But it was really good. And I was talking with a friend about it, and I'm really tempted to uh, to read 27 volumes of comics again. But I don't know if I will or not. Well, there you go. How about yourself? Um, you know, a few little things. I finally finished up book five of The Wheel of Time, so I've moved on to book six. And so far, haven't burned out. I'm pretty sure I will at some point, but uh, I'm hoping I can push on through because I am excited to check out a couple books by Brandon Sanderson, The Last Metal, or no, excuse me, The Lost Metal, the fourth book in the kind of second Mistborn series. Uh, They're fun. Uh, These two characters he wrote, Wax and Wayne, are probably my two favorite characters he's written. And so I'm really looking forward to reading that, but I haven't made it there yet. And then he did his little secret project thing during the pandemic. And the first book of those has been released. And so I've got the audiobook and the ebook and the hardback is on its way to me. And so I've got a couple books I want to get to, but I'm sticking with the wheel of time first. So chipping away at that. Um, my youngest and I finished uh, the Willow series on Disney+. Plus. How was that? I we enjoyed it quite a bit. As long as you go into it, I think, with appropriate expectations, I think it's very enjoyable. And those appropriate expectations should be based entirely on the first movie, Willow, which is kind of silly, doesn't take itself too seriously, is goofy and a little hokey in parts, And as long as you expect that you're going in for a fantasy series that absolutely does not take itself too seriously and has fun kind of poking at itself just a little bit and is lighthearted and, you know, again, it's not perfect. There's a lot of flaws with it, but it was just fun. It was just fun to watch and I enjoyed the characters and uh, it was definitely worth our time. Um, I think the final thing I'd mention is I recently decided to again, really kind of dig into the complete catalog of cult of Luna and doing so going back and listening to their earlier albums and kind of all of their albums now over the past 20 plus years has firmly entrenched them with Neurosis in probably my top two to three bands of all time. You know what? That makes sense. They rule. They're really great. Yes. And and they were from the very beginning. I mean, while there may be a few tracks here and there that I don't like as much, and I think that Vertical 2, which was kind of this collection of tracks that didn't make Vertical, is is the outlier. But again, if you look at their full albums, they're like every single one of them is incredibly strong start to finish. Like there just isn't an album in the bunch that I don't think is, is excellent and worth listening to. So that's fair. I, I would agree with you. Um, they're just a really good band. I just really like them a lot. Yeah, I do too. Well, why don't we then jump into the topic for the week? And that is 2017's movie, Logan. 
I'm going to give a real brief plot summary because I really mostly want to talk about this movie. Um, it takes place in the year 2029. We get little bits of information that no mutants have been born in the last 25 years. When we first see Logan, we see he's in pretty rough shape and he's just kind of working odd jobs as a limousine driver, trying to save money to take a severely aging and um, slipping into dementia Charles Xavier. He wants to buy a boat and take him out to sea. We find out that Charles is having telepathic seizures, which are doing real bad things. In the midst of this, Logan uh, agrees to escort a lady, Gabriela Lopez, finds out that she was a former nurse for a biotech company, and she has a young girl named e named Laura, and they're trying to get to a place called Eden uh, near the American-Canadian border where, uh, she can, where uh, Laura can be safe. Gabrielle is dead. Her killers uh, with that are kind of hired by this biotech corporation try and hunt down and, and get Laura. They want her. There's a big old fight, fight, fight with Laura and Logan as they uh, load up Professor X and they take off and they go hide. They get to Oklahoma City, get a new car. Their Reavers are hunting them down. They flee on the road. They meet a farmer. They help the farmer. They spend time with the farmer with disastrous consequences. In the midst of this, Charles Xavier dies at the hands of what is being called X-24, basically a clone of Logan in his prime that is is pretty much mindless, doesn't have a personality. He's just created to be the weapon. They bury Xavier and then uh, finally Logan relents and decides to try and take Laura up to the America-Canada border. They get there, even though Logan doesn't think there's going to be anything there. They get there and they do find that there are a collection of children who were in transigen with Laura. She knows them. The Reavers ambush and show up to get the children. Logan takes a, an overdose of a serum that will temporarily enhance his healing abilities and boost his strength because he's real rough by this point. He and Laura, for the most part, slaughter most of the Reavers. There's a final fight with Logan and X-24 in which X-24 impales Logan on a, uh, a root and Laura kills X-24 with an adamantium bullet that she had found in uh, Logan's stuff that he had kind of held on to in case he ever decided to commit suicide. And then uh, as she goes over to a dying Logan, uh, she calls him daddy a few times. He dies. The kids bury him. And then we see them taken off in the forest. And that's how the movie ends. So what were your thoughts on Logan? Because we had previously said we remembered it being good, but we didn't know how it was going to hold up. So what did you think? Shit, this movie rules. Okay. Tell me more. It just, it rules. It is in eschewing so much of what we have come to expect during this uh, experiment of watching all of these X-Men movies. It makes its 
it is a statement of a film in the in a way in which none of the other X-Men movies are. Yes. And it is far more focused on who this character is and who these characters are than it is on the spectacle, which mm-hmm. we talked about the Wolverine. I think we both enjoyed it pretty okay. It was obviously much better than X-Men Origins Wolverine, and it was surrounded by worse movies. Um, but it was largely a big superhero spectacle movie still. Yes. Like it was still like big fights. He still had a huge fight on top of a bullet train and got shot with 18 kajillion arrows and dragged and got dragged by the people. It was cool, but it was a big superhero movie. But Logan is so much more focused on tone, on feeling, on setting on composition of shot and and lingering in those shots um, in a way that none of these other X-Men movies have been. Um, and so it easily, uh, to, to my surprise, honestly, after I've watched these movies and many of them have fallen in my estimation, it easily supplants X-Men as my favorite of the movies that we've watched for this. Mm-hmm. Very How about interesting. you? Um, I will agree with everything you said. And then add that while I thought it was a very good movie and, and one could even go, you know, go so far as to call this a film rather than a movie. If listeners, you know, kind of get my, my drift at at the difference there. Um, it was a movie I found very difficult to watch and that's just because of what's going on in my life right now. But it has while I would 100% agree, there is no question. This is unquestionably not only the best of the X-Men movies, even though I found it difficult to watch. I put it off until this afternoon. I got out done with surgery early enough that I was like, I have to watch it today because we're talking about it. But I've been Indeed. putting it off because I knew that it was going to be a heavy movie. And I'm just maybe not in a great place right now, and that's okay. But I I look at the notes I took for this movie and they are so, there are so many, it's just, there's so much less of them. I took much less notes for this movie than any of the other X-Men movies. And that is predominantly for two reasons. Number one, I really just kind of wanted, like, this is a movie that I felt was good enough that I wanted to just take it in. I didn't want to be distracted by making notes and writing things down because again, it's a quality enough product that I wanted to, to just take it in as a whole. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. The other reason why I think there's less, and I was thinking about this, this afternoon, I was driving and probably picking my son up from swim or something. And I thought to myself, you know, when we think back on a lot of the recent movies, I mean, Really, almost all of them, all of these X-Men movies, Apocalypse for sure, but Days of Future Past, First Class, and and just keep going back. And there are so many things happening. The movies are just stuffed with, look, in a lot of cases, shit. 
but there's just so much happening that it's little scene, little scene, little scene, little scene. And when I think about Logan, it, it falls down to me. It is basically four main pieces. You've got the first stuff in Texas and Mexico with Logan and Xavier and then them getting Laura. And then you've got the shortest part, which would be the scene in Oklahoma City, but we're going to have to talk about that scene. And then you've got them helping the family and the repercussions of that. And then basically you've got Charles dying and Logan relenting to take Laura North. And that's it. And so, like you said, this is a two-plus-hour movie with relatively few set pieces, especially compared to some of the previous. And I think that it's so much more effective because of that, because, again, as you pointed out, it has room to breathe. It has room to explore these characters. And... It trusts its audience in a way that none of the other X-Men movies have. Yeah. Um, And I guess when I think about that idea of trusting its audience, we never get straight up told what exactly is going on with Charles. We're just allowed to kind of figure that out from the context and the things that are happening. We don't Mm -hmm. have any voiceover explaining everything that's been going on. We just, it is very much a show don't tell movie. Whereas I feel like a lot of the previous movies, at least at some point have had to rely on this. Well, we got to give you an exposition dump. And there's the only thing that would even remotely, in my opinion, come to the exposition dump is when Logan goes to find Gabriella and she's dead and he finds her phone. She's recorded a video on it. And that's our exposition dump is this video that she has made to try and explain what's going on, who Laura is and what was happening at transigen. And it's so much more effective than again, the voiceovers or the, you know, the little, not necessarily the crawls, not in the star Wars type, but some of these have had the little, you know, the text on the screen at the beginning telling us what's going on. And, and or this, they, or they'll start with someone giving a speech that they then cut to, you know, like here's Jean gray giving a speech in front of the UN that yes. we are privy to. And that is also explaining about how, how X, uh, how, how mutants work and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, and I mean, we only find out in, again, in passing later on in the movie, well, why haven't any mutants been born in the last 25 years? But it's not this info dump where you feel like it's, it fits in the story in such a way that just really pulls you in and, and, and forces you to pay attention because you aren't going to get that info dump where you can be like, okay. You just caught me up. Like I felt like I needed to be paying attention because so many of the, so much of the information that was being conveyed was being conveyed in the film in universe. It wasn't this expository thing. And I think the movie is just infinitely stronger because of that. This is the thing about the other movies is that they don't feel like they have the confidence in their direction that this one feels like it has. And I don't know 
what actually i mean i do know what happened to james mangold in between the wolverine and uh and uh logan nothing those were the last those he didn't make anything in between them so it's like how did he how did he level up because there is just a level of maturity as a filmmaker and and just he he feels like he doesn't have anything to prove which i feel like singer is always chasing especially after that first one he's always chasing the high of that first one and failing to hit it Mm -hmm. and matthew vaughn comes in and makes one of them and it's kind of a dud and then he goes off to make hyper violent other stuff like kick ass i remember enjoying when it first came out but i don't think i would enjoy it in 2023 but i did in 2010 because i was a child um (laughs) and that is a hyper violent goofy you know, superhero pastiche. So I liked it when I was, you know, younger and, and dumber. I'll say it that way. Uh, and, and like the, and so these are the people who have made X-Men movies before. I don't even remember who made X-Men origins Wolverine. It doesn't matter. That was garbage, but like, (laughs) we don't need to remember who made that, but this is, this is the sort I watched it and I was like, I understand why Spielberg was like, yeah, I'll let this guy make the next Indiana Jones movie. It ain't going to be good because Indiana Jones movies have never been good, but he's a, he is a good, he's not even just a competent director. He's a good director with a good eye for shots for a good eye for getting a great performance from his cast and letting his cast do things that they don't maybe wouldn't have done like this is the only time I've ever liked Charles Xavier. And it's because he's a grumpy old man. Who's finally able to like, just be a person instead of this like terrible mind controlling man. Oh yeah. I I mean, when we first are introduced to him, he's sitting here just like randomly quoting things and saying ridiculous things. And, and, and you immediately, I, I don't feel put off by him. Like I have in all of the other movies, whether it was, Patrick Stewart or James McAvoy this and and there are some moments with Charles that are genuinely affecting and and kind of heartbreaking oh, incredibly I mean, you know when he's he's at the at the family that they help and he thinks that Logan has come in to the room to wake him up in the morning and it's x24 but we don't know that yet Charles has had this moment of lucidity where he, he says that he now remembers what happened in Westchester. Now they don't tell us exactly what that was and he doesn't go into it, but now he has remembered and you can just see the way it breaks him. And, um, yeah, it's, I mean, and, oh, Charles, I mean, yeah, Patrick Stewart is just, he is so good in this movie, in this role. It, I, it's it, a masterful performance. It really is. I mean, he's so good. The way he he portrays, and again, anybody who has been around somebody who's suffering from dementia, like he nailed it. Going from these moments yeah. of sharpness and lucidity to being mean, to being ridiculous, to just and then just being depressed and despondent when he realizes what's happening to him and you can see that it is it is breaking him and yeah, yeah just so so good so powerful and it, 
I mean, the rest of the cast too. Like oh, yeah. Daphne Keen as Laura is so broody and like can emanate this like slasher villain when she goes murder mode. Like oh, especially yeah. that first time she goes murder mode in the in the um, compound in Mexico. Like yes, that was that was one of the one of my few notes was Laura's first fight scene is brutal. I, she's she's Michael Myers. Oh, she just comes walking out. She's the, Jason Voorhees. The guys that come into the building to get her, she, you know, you hear her screaming this, that, and the other, and she comes walking out with something under her arm, and you don't realize it till she throws it at him that it's the head of one of the people they sent in, that she has just casually sliced his head off and is now throwing it at them, and she's what supposed to be a 10, 12 year old somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, we have to mention in case listeners have not watched this movie or know nothing about it. This movie earned its R. (laughs) It really, truly earned an R rating in a way that, I mean, apparently you saw the unrated cut of the Wolverine, but this I think would even surpass that. Like, Oh, this was a movie where they were like, do what you want to do. And like, you know, there's no, editing to the way that people speak to one another the first line that logan says in the movie is the word fuck like exactly that's the first thing he says in the movie and says it 20 30 more times during the course of the film it's extremely gory like every time wolverine kills someone or laura kills someone with their claws there's blood like it would have happened in real life if you were stabbing that many people with that many like claws all the time like well, and not it, only it, it, blood, it is, but I mean, you see the number of times you see Wolverine's claws come out the other side of somebody's head. I mean, oh yeah, you know, it's it's if it's up through the if it's below the chin, then those claws are coming out the top. If it's through the side, they're coming. I mean, it, it is it is very brutal in that way, and and I wanted to see what your thoughts were. You briefly mentioned earlier kick-ass and the hyper-violence. This is obviously a very violent movie at, at parts of it. What did you think about that? Did you think that it was, did you feel that it was, it was gratuitous? Was it a, what, what no. were your thoughts on it? Because I, I have mine and I want to hear yours. So uh, I would contrast it with a thing like kick-ass um, or, or, you know, a, I don't know. Name some other super hyper gory films. In I don't that know. I it don't feels watch like, I mean, I've seen quite a few of them, but like, it's like to me the difference between the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, all that gore is there, and all that violence is there to like elicit a reaction of like ha 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 out of you like you go into friday the 13th part three for a good time you don't go to texas Ch- like i have a good time watching texas chainsaw massacre it's one of the best movies ever made but like that's not the goal there the goal is for it to be a harrowing scary like unnerving experience and so those are two different modes kick ass is it is a comedy Mm -hmm. fundamentally like is it a big like action superhero movie yes but it's also like at its core oh here's this 12 year old girl who murders a bunch of people parentheses funny close parentheses logan is here's a 10 year old girl who murders a bunch of people parentheses trauma close parentheses yeah 
And so, yeah, I think that it's really, it's really gory. It's really bloody. It's very violent. It's not one of the ones you would let your kid watch with you. <laughs> Definitely um, not. I'm, I'm sure you did not let your 12 year old watch this movie with you. Nope. That's why um, I good watched reason. it today during the day while he was still at school. With good reason. But uh, it doesn't feel gratuitous in the way that Kick-Ass does, for example. Excellent. I felt the same. While, yes, it is very violent, it didn't ever feel like the violence was there as as a shock value or not even a, oh, this, is, this isn't your daddy's X-Men movie. It just felt like this is the story we're telling in a rather brutal and unforgiving world with people who have experienced severe trauma. And, yeah. and how are like they going to deal with that? It, it's not titillating. The violence is never titillating in this movie. No. And, and they even, you know, there's some certain scenes in there when they're in Oklahoma city in the hotel slash casino, um, Xavier and Laura are watching. I think it's the movie Shane. I didn't look it up, but I'm pretty sure it's the movie Shane. And I only remember yes, this movie it is. because it's the movie Shane. I remember our dad used to talk about it all the time. But basically, you know, there's this line that she repeats later on in the movie, but just basically, you know, it talks about, and, and Logan says the same thing at some one point. He says, you know, when you kill somebody, it sticks with you. It changes you. Uh-huh. You have to carry yep. that. And so it isn't titillating. It isn't glorified in any way. Like you can tell that these people they're not taking any joy in what they're doing. This is not a gleeful sort of murder rampage. This is a, we are trying to save people that we care about. And violence is the tool that we know that we have been trained to use. And we have, I mean, there's a reason they called him weapon X because he was made to be a weapon. And I thought that the amount of violence in the movie serves to drive home that point that they're trying to make. And again, that scene where, you know, they're talking about having to kill people. And I just, I thought it, there was, I'm the first to admit, I don't like graphically violent things. I don't like, I see plenty of blood in my real job. I get to see blood and, and the insides of people's bodies a lot. And, and I don't know if that's why, I just don't, I don't like it, but it, this never, ever bothered me because it was so much in service of the story and the characters and never felt out of place or exploitative or anything like that to me, despite how brutal some of this violence is. Yeah. It's, it's affecting. And I think that you're exactly right. That like it, I, I wrote on my nose that Shane's maybe a little too on the nose, but like, I feel like it eventually earns it yeah. with Laura repeating that speech in the end. I don't know if you remember Shane at all. It f- rules. It's a great, it's a great cowboy movie. You want, you want to go watch a good Western? Go watch Shane. It earns your viewing, but, uh, and, and this movie feels of a, of a piece with Shane in a lot of ways, which is why I thought it was a little too on the nose. But then sure. I was like, oh, okay. Like at the end I was like, oh, okay, you brought me back around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I have to say, we haven't even mentioned this yet. 
Jackman is great in this movie. He brings it. And he's often brought it. We've often said, you know, the rest of the movie around him is garbage, but he is often very entertaining in it. Yep. But he brings it in a way that is career defining. Like this is when you think about Logan, when you think about Wolverine, this is the performance you should be thinking about. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he really does. And, and there's, he manages to convey quite a bit in this movie with him mostly just being uh, coming across as, as grumpy and pissed off for much of it, but still he portrays it so well that you, while he's just, he's grumpy, he doesn't want to help. He's reluctant. He's recalcitrant, all these things. You understand not only why, but you see the fight in him of wanting to help and not wanting to help. And it's, it's, it it was excellent. I mean, I've always enjoyed Hugh Jackman. I think that he's, I think he's pretty good. And I think you watch this and you go, Oh no, he's more than pretty good in my opinion. Yeah, no, he, again, it's one of those things that's like unicorn casting because you cast this guy in this movie 17 years ago and it has turned out for the best. Yeah. And again, James Mangold casts him as a foppish noble from the past 16 years before this and then they become buddies and now here we are 17 years or 16 years later with Logan with the guy who made freaking Kate and Leopold as the director and guess what he does a great job I did not realize that I didn't even make that connection <laughs> Mangold Mangold wrote and directed Kate and Leopold which was the first time he and Jackman worked together wow wow but like I was looking at Mangold's like filmography, you know, before we started recording, and I was like, I see how you get to this point because in terms of the tone and in terms of the way that the music is used, I got to say the soundtrack to this is impeccable and is used to great effect in many of the scenes. But like after his first couple movies that are like sound like absolute garbage, you get girl interrupted, which is not good, but a classic you get Kate and Leopold. Okay. This is, this is the guy who's going to make Indiana Jones one day, but then he makes walk the line, which like, I don't like biopics, Mm -hmm. but that's a pretty good biopic all told like in part. And most of that's on the strength of the casting because they did very good casting for, for the caches in that movie. Um, but obviously there was some to the direction too. And then the next movie he makes is the remake, the 310 to Yuma, which we have discussed before on this very podcast is a banger mm-hmm. of a, uh, of a, uh, Western movie. If you are going to watch a more modern Western movie, that is one of the three that I would say that's what you should watch. Um, and so like he had made a great Western and so now he makes a good neo Western in Logan in a lot of respects. Yeah. This has the feel, this has the, 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 uh, the sense of a Western film while it is set in a post-apocalyptic future. Mm-hmm. And it's only apocalyptic in that the America of these, of this world has gotten worse somehow than the world in which we live in. <laughs> but also it is, but also it is just the world that we live in. Like, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me that if there was someone who escaped from a Mexican 
you know, biotech company that they probably could just have their strapped up mercenaries going down the streets of the U.S. Yeah, I wouldn't. I could read that in the newspaper tomorrow and I'd be like, I hate this country. But of course, that's what happened. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And like or like the the farmers with the with the uh, land rights stuff. That's a thing that like I think about a lot living where I live and knowing the stories of farmers from where I live. Like this is a thing that huge multinationals do is they will buy out all the land and then there will be these like holdouts who get pressured or killed to get their land taken from them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's a really good movie. It is really good. Um, I do want to talk about the scene in the casino because, boy. Yeah, do you, you mentioned a couple times that you wanted to talk about this. Yeah, I just, you know, we think about a, a number of these movies have kind of had some some scene with some gimmick in it. And some have worked, like I would say Quicksilver in um, – what is it? Not Days of Future. Is it? Yeah, I guess it's Days of Future. Yeah, it's Past. Days of Future yeah, Past. That was the first one, and you know the, this 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 kind of iconic, cool scene. And so we have basically the the, the bad guys have caught up with uh, Logan and and Charles and Laura in this Harris in Oklahoma City, and Logan is getting close and then all of a sudden just you know everything's going crazy and charles is having one of these kind of telepathic seizures and everybody else is basically frozen but logan and and i think we're led to assume that it's because of kind of his mutation and his healing factor because we see that laura's not quite as affected by it either but just as he is like pushing against this invisible barrier to get up there and try and, and, you know, free Charles and, and stop whatever is happening. I just uh, I thought it was a really cool scene. Um, you know, he's kind of, I was just gonna say his slow-mo, you know, this, this kind of slow-mo he's, he's having to stick his claws into the walls and kind of pull yes. himself along against this invisible force that is emanating from Charles. And we see he gets into the hotel room and, you know, here's all these guys that have got Charles, they've got him at gunpoint, but they're all frozen. And, you know, he's coming in and again, here's where we see some claws going through the sides of heads and through chests and all this kind of stuff. And just the way that, you know, he basically, he, he, he slaughters them all and then sticks the medicine, stabs Charles with a medicine that stops the seizure. And then all of the mercs just drop to the ground dead because, yeah, I don't know. It was, it, it was, again, had the potential to feel gratuitous, but it managed to not ever feel that way to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really something else. Yeah. It, it's kind of astonishing to go from the depths that was X-Men Apocalypse to this. And then the depths that we're going to go back into I was going to say, I've heard that we get to maybe the worst. So it's uh, as, as presaged in our last X-Men episode, we are on the roller coaster. (laughs) The winter of RX content is the biggest sine wave God has ever allowed be created. It it really feels that way, but I don't know. It's interesting. I feel like 
We haven't talked about this movie for as long as we have talked about some of the others, but I think that it, for me at least, is because I kind of want to just say, if you haven't watched it, go watch it. And if you have watched it and it's maybe been a while, like I hadn't seen it since it came out in theaters. Same. Watching it again, it was very much worthwhile to do to go, hot damn, this is a really, really good movie. It ain't going to make you feel sunny and happy. It is going to take you into some dark places. But one thing I did want to mention, despite how kind of heavy the tone and the theme of this movie is, I am so grateful that it doesn't dwell in the darkness. You know, we've got really, I can think of the one big fight scene where X-24 shows up to that family's house at night and that is in the dark. But they have, again, the confidence to have this movie in bright sunlight so much of the time. And I think that a less confident movie would try and manipulate the viewer even more by making everything dark and moody and broody in terms of how it's being shot as well. And I think just, again, like you said, the confidence of this movie to say, no, we, we can tell this story even though it's blaringly bright sun in the Mexico desert or, you know, bright green lush forests up in, you know, at the Northern U S border, things like that. So I, I really appreciate that aspect of it. And I think it helps that the stakes are so much lower than in the other movies. We don't need Magneto to pick up the national stadium and drop it on top of the white house because it's so much lower key. Like, it, it it doesn't look bad shot it, it like the fight scenes look great even when they're in full sunlight because those are just stunt people fighting yep. with like itty bitty bits of like well let's put some claws sticking through a face here with a splash of blood but like it's not a huge thing like a like a stadium lifted off the ground mm-hmm. or or a huge um futuristic uh, aircraft that you've got to crash. Like it's just extremely like it real. Like it, like it feels embodied because of the lower stakes in a way that many of the other slash all of the other X-Men movies don't. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know any, anything else you want to say about it? I'm looking, I'm looking at my, uh, my, notes to see if there's anything else that we need to talk about. I did think that this version of Caliban was way more interesting than the little bit that we got out of X-Men Apocalypse. Oh yeah. So much. Um, it helps that Stephen Marchant is a much better actor. Um, that definitely makes a difference. Um, and you know, his, his scene where he, uh, grabs those grenades mm-hmm. and blows them up was just like, hell yeah. Caliban. Oh, yeah. Oh, Hell yeah. yeah. Um, let's see some other stuff. Uh, Xavier Spanish is very bad and very funny. <laughs> yes. Very accurate. He might, he might know a lot of things. He might have a PhD, but he definitely doesn't know very much Spanish. Um, yeah. Again, I just wrote that it takes its time. Let's the movie breathe in a way. Comic book movies rarely do. Yeah. Agree with that for sure. Um, 
I love that those fake X-Men or that those X-Men comics that were in there were fake because I feel like there are other movies where they're like, oh, you know, they've made comics about these characters, but then let's make it like a cute Easter egg and have it be an actual like comic from 1973 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like maybe Winter Soldier did that and like had like an actual Captain America, like Sal Buscema cover or something. These were fake comics. This was not real X-Men comics, okay. which you could tell once you saw X-Men, you saw Wolverine's costume and you're like, that's not what Wolverine's costume ever looked like in the comics mm-hmm. because these are fake vintage comics. And I thought that was a really interesting touch for them to not be like, well, we've got, we've got all these old comics that were written and drawn 30 years ago. Let's put one of them in there. But instead to be like, this is not our world. So their X-Men comics are going to be slightly different. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, the auto-driving semis were a very um, dystopian touch mm-hmm. um, since that is a thing actual people want to do. And the fact that the self-driving semis almost kill that farmer family and like there's that thrown off line of like, are we sure that was an accident? Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, that's the sort of stuff that those of us who are afraid of uh self-driving ai controlled vehicles are afraid of like there's no accountability mm-hmm. there's no way for people to be held accountable for those sorts of things yeah um yeah uh the scene when laura grabs his wrist after he's buried xavier mm-hmm. and he doesn't hold her hand is just like so heartbreaking to me but then he does hold her hand at the very end and i'm like thank you for holding her hand well and you know that was i won't say it broke me but that was a scene that almost broke me when he's dying she has cut the branch uh, the root off so he can slide down to the ground but he's dying we know this and he he's been dying the whole movie and she says i think it's twice she says daddy and Yep. He looks at her and I don't remember the exact line, but he says something to the effect of, oh, something basically the idea that I picked up was he he's looking at her and he finally feels this. What is it like to have someone you love? And he kind of says something about now I get it. And then he dies. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just. I, and it's like. Yeah, it's it's heavy. It's really heavy, but it's really good. Oh, it is. I, I, again, it was difficult for me to watch just because of kind of the stress and everything where I'm at right now. But it is such a well-made movie. I mean, I yeah. really could not think of a single thing that I genuinely wanted to complain about. I I was stretching. The only thing I could come up with was, well, we fall into the superhero versus a stronger version of himself. Sure. But the reason it didn't bother me in this, and I don't actually think it's the weakness that I was hoping to try and make it seem like there was some weakness is because of how it fits into this story. I mean, this has been the goal. X-24 has been the goal uh, from the very beginning. From the very first movie. From the very beginning. From the very first movie, 
the idea was we want to make the perfect soldier and like so of course that's a through line that gets taken forward um and it makes a lot of sense for it to be taking forward and the other reason why i don't think that it's a weakness in this movie is because that perfect soldier that's the fight that logan has but that's not the actual antagonist that's not the real issue the the no. issue of the story isn't even, in my opinion, it isn't even transigen. It is getting Laura to safety and and giving her a chance for again. I think the last line that Logan says, "Don't be the weapon they made you to be." Yeah, and that is the heart. And- that is the central thing of this whole story. Is that Logan has had the choice. To, you know, he, lots of times I've killed people and bad people, this and the other, but at the end you can see he has made a choice and he is encouraging her to do the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just really, it's really good. I mean, it's really good. I think you, you said this before it not only held up on a second viewing, I think this time around, I thought it was that much better like a significantly amount better than I thought it was the first time. I remember coming out of the theater going, wow, that was heavy, but that was really good. And watching it this time, I was like, wow, that was heavy, but that's a really, really good movie. It's probably a top five live action superhero movies, maybe top five. No, top five superhero movies, maybe top three live action superhero movies. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's extremely good. And like, yeah, and I'm almost, here's my biggest complaint. And it is not about this movie. It pisses me off that Wolverine is going to be in Deadpool three. Cause it really would have been good to just end with this. And it was, he was done. Yeah. I don't care how much of a friend you are to Ryan Reynolds. You tell him to shove it. (laughs) You say, I love you, Ryan, but shove it. No. You want, do you want a Wolverine in your movie? I hear they just finished his dark material season three. So guess what? Laura's available for your dumb Deadpool three. Let's go. There you go. Let's put, let's put my personal favorite comics Wolverine in the movie as Wolverine. Come on. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, like you said, I think the reason it works for me so well is that the villain of this movie is time it's not x24 it's not the reavers the villain of this movie is the fact that wolverine has gotten old yeah it's age and it's time and maybe that's trite and maybe that's you know and i have a a sneaking suspicion we are going to get many of the exact same themes in Mangold's upcoming film aka (laughs) indiana jones and the dial of destiny which again, I don't care about Indiana Jones. I don't think there's ever been a really genuinely good Indiana Jones movie because I think they're all kind of dog shit. Oh, sorry, see? Darren. My friend, my friend Darren loves the Indiana Jones movies, but I think that all of them have been dog shit. Oh, and and see, I, I would say, I, I think Raiders of the Lost Ark is fantastic. I think that movie is so good. Well. All I know is that Raiders of the Lost Ark is a better name than Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which is a terrible name. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I it bet is. that this and I bet that this movie is going to deal with things like aging and the passage of time and time being against you 
since I bet there's time travel shit in it with a game name like Dial of Destiny and B, freaking uh, Harrison Ford is 10,000 years old at this point. Yeah, I didn't even think about that title, but you're right. There's going to be they time gotta, travel. They got to be paying him $8 billion because all, he, all Harrison Ford wants to do is fly his helicopters and get absolutely stoned out of his mind <laughs> on weed like what are you doing bud you can fly your helicopters and get zonked why are you making indiana jones five my guy <laughs> it's kind of true i read a rumor the other day that like everyone on set was like he's so high literally all the time and i'm like do you know what is the least surprising thing to me that harrison ford spends all day high on a movie set like <laughs> He brings it when he needs to bring it. I really like Harrison Ford. I've liked him in a whole lot of movies over the years. Our father has a very big, is a big Harrison Ford fan, and we have watched a lot of middling Harrison Ford movies because he is in them. Yes, we you know, have. Growing up with our father, but he's pretty good most of the time. But it also would not surprise me in the latest if he is zonked out of his mind literally all the time when he is not on set. <laughs> Sometimes when he is on set, probably, probably. And you know, at Harrison Ford's age yeah. with his career, exactly. Why wouldn't you? He's the thing about Harrison. I mean, this is this is a bit of a tangent, but the thing about Harrison Ford is that Harrison Ford is good as an actor at exactly one thing, and that is at being Harrison Ford. <laughs> yes, and like he's like Tom Cruise in that way. You get Tom Cruise in a Tom Cruise role; it's great. It's great. Oh, he's gonna he act brings the, it. He's gonna he, he is gonna beat he is gonna Tom Cruise he, the hell out of it. And and it's good. And yeah. Harrison Ford is the same way. And occasionally, occasionally a director will come along who is like, hey, actor who has a very particular way that they do things, I would like you to be in my film, and I would like you to bring that very particular way, and then we're gonna fuck it up and it's gonna go great and guess what they do that that's when you get collateral arguably the best movie that tom cruise has ever been in that's when you get what lies beneath a great horror film where where harrison ford you don't realize is the bad guy until two-thirds of the way through it and then you're like oh no michelle pfeiffer your husband's a murderer and like it works because for the first two thirds of that movie, he's just Harrison Ford mm. and collateral works as a Tom Cruise film because he's Tom Cruise taken to Tom Cruise's natural uh, apex. Anyway, yeah. that doesn't have anything to do with these movies. That's what okay. I will say is Jackman has range better than both Cruise and Harrison Ford. Oh, so yes. sorry, you two. But Jackman has better range than you, even when he's in movies that are bad like that. I I haven't seen it, but I've seen enough clips from it. I bet The Greatest Showman is an absolute terrible film. I bet it <laughs> sucks so much. But Jackman is a great singer, and he brings it, even if the movie sucks. Uh, you know, he has a knack for making anything he's ever been in is at the very least watchable for me that I have seen. Because... You know, he, he genuinely, uh, he's, he was in X-Men apocalypse, my man. <sighs> okay. He's watchable in the movie, but you're right. Maybe you should say anything. He's a lead in. There we go. That's, 
That's good. That's a good way to put it. Anything he's a lead in. Oh boy. Uh, but no, he's, he, he is very good and he just brings it in this movie in a way that, gosh, I mean, the man can act and, and sell it to you. And he manages to do so much in this movie between both when he's X 24 and he's just being this mindless, brutal killing machine to when he's Logan full of rage to when he's Logan, like ready to die. I mean, it's, it's, it's impressive. And, and this movie is really, really good. If you have, if you can't tell from what we've said so far, this is a great movie and you should watch it if you haven't. And if you have, you should watch it again. Just make sure the yeah. kids aren't around. That's all. Yeah, or if just, you want your kids to watch this, that's R-rated. up to you. But it is, it is R rated. It deserved the R, but never again, it never felt gratuitous or that it was, it was trying to just be like, haha, we're going to make an R rated movie. It was just, here's the story we're telling and it's a dark story. So yeah, it's going to be rated R. Yep. It's really good. I'm, I'm really happy that it held up because I was really dreading it. I also put it off until late last night and I was like, I really remember liking it and I hope it holds up. And it did. Yep. View listeners, it it really truly held up. Um, I am not kidding when it's probably in the top five superhero movies for me because it doesn't feel like the other ones. It does not. It's not. It's not a. It it's not your typical MCU movie. Which again, I enjoy a lot of those for what they are, which is good popcorn flicks that I don't have to think about. But this is this was something else. This resonates in a way that those don't very much. So very much. So, so well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up now. Appreciate those who are listening. And again, we know, I know we say this, but uh, please subscribe, leave us a review, leave us a star rating, share it with other people. Give us some feedback. If you'd like feedback at the middle of We'll see that we'll address it on the pod. And, uh, until, two weeks when we'll discuss something that isn't X-Men related. Uh, Thanks for listening and go watch Logan if you haven't seen it. Bye.